You've stumbled across exegesis. I'm your queer gay priest, Ben Guerin. Here we talk about Bible, here are some sermons, and generally go about Christianity in a radically queer way that often involves the unexpected. This is a no-strings-attached sermon edition of the podcast, which means we'll hear the Sunday's Gospel, listen to a sermon preached in front of a live congregation, and then we'll do our basic wrap-up. Hope you enjoy. Reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. After this, the Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them before him, two and two, into all the cities and villages he himself was to visit. The harvest, he told them, is plentiful enough, but the laborers are few. You must ask the Lord to whom the harvest belongs to send laborers out for the harvesting. Go then and remember, I am sending you out to be like lambs among wolves. You are not to carry purse or wallet or shoes. You are to give no one greeting on your way. When you enter a house, say, first of all, Peace be to this house. And if those who dwell there are of good will, your good wishes shall come down upon it. If not, they will come back to you the way they went. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they have to give you. The laborer has a right to his maintenance. Do not move from one house to another. When you enter a city and they make you welcome, be content to eat the fare they offer you and heal those who are sick there and tell them, The kingdom of God is close upon you. But if you enter a city where they will not make you welcome, go out into their streets and say, We brush off in your faces the very dust from your city that has clung to our feet. And be sure of this, the kingdom of God is close at hand. I tell you, it shall go less hard with Sodom at the day of judgment than with that city. Woe to thee, Chorazin! Woe to thee, Bathsheba! Tyre and Sidon would have repented long ago, humbling themselves with sackcloth and ashes, if the miracles done in you had been done there instead. And indeed, it shall go less hard with Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than with you. And thou, Capernaum, dost thou hope to be lifted up high as heaven? Thou shalt be brought low as hell. He who listens to you listens to me. He who despises you despises me. And he who despises me despises him that sent me. And the seventy-two disciples came back full of rejoicing. 
Lord, they said, even the devils are made subject to us through thy name. Jesus said to them, I watched while Satan was cast down like a lightning flash from heaven. Behold, I have given you the right to trample on snakes and scorpions and all the power of the enemy and take no hurt from it. But you, instead of rejoicing that the devils are made subject to you, should be rejoicing that your names are enrolled in heaven. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We are the wolves. We have a tendency when we reflect and meditate on the Gospels to generally abstain and considering that we might be one of the more negative characters in the space of the gospel. But we are very easily and very readily the wolves. It's this innate capacity that exists within each of our hearts, within each of our minds, this potential that we have as human community, as a congregation, as a town, as a nation, a country. This capacity, this potential to be wolves. And I think if we're honest with ourselves and reflect upon our lives, we will find that time and time again, we've ended up being the wolf in the story. And what do I mean by that? Here we have these 70 odd disciples sort of heading out into the countryside before Jesus. Jesus, this itinerant, generally destitute, Rabbi, sometime miracle worker. And what does Jesus have but a rather radical message? He's going around and he's asking people to change their understanding about reality. He's asking people to name the fact that they actually don't know what truth is. They don't know how the world works. They don't really know how they as humans relate to God. Jesus is asking people to enter into a space of transformation. And that's not an easy ask to make of other people. You try to inform someone that they don't really get how morality works, how they're supposed to live their lives, that maybe they need to be aware of something deeper. Maybe they need to change the way they relate to other people. They generally give pushback. When you try to get a community to change, like, say, a congregation 
a synagogue, a church, anything like that. Oh my goodness, you've moved the baptismal font five feet from where it's been for the past 20 years. We can't change. Think about the pushback you get. And that's something simple like moving. When it comes to dynamically changing the way that the gospel is preached, or the message that comes from the pulpit, those are the schisms that so often we try to avoid. And when you try to change the entire mythos of a nation, when you try to tell them that the expectations of who they are and what they are and how they go about their lives might not be right, and Jesus' understanding of who and what the Messiah was and is was not what a lot of the Jewish people were expecting, you're going to get some major pushback pushback that might actually lead to death. We know that's the type of pushback that Jesus eventually encountered. So what is it to be this wolf I'm talking about? What that means is to not be open to new ideas, to not have in our mindset this idea that, well, we might be wrong. There might be some element of truth some understanding of who we are and who God is and how we as a community are supposed to function and identify that we don't quite get yet. When we're not open to that possibility, when we're not open to having a peace that we do not understand come into our lives to transform us, then we become those people closing the door on the disciples. We become those people that the disciples have to sort of dust the dirt off their sandals before they leave town. And each of us has this capacity to close ourselves off from hearing the proclamation of Christ crucified, from hearing the good news from some place that we don't want to hear. Now to the reality we are living in today. I have this old acquaintance, and upon occasion, he sends me random memes through Messenger. Memes are those pictures that have like words on there. Uh, and we are not politically in the same spectrum at all. I sometimes wonder why he keeps talking to me. Um, but he sent me one of these memes. And it's a picture, and what the picture is, is a bunch of people who've gone through the application for U.S. citizenship, and they're taking their oaths as new citizens. The text on this alleged joke is, no children died in the legal citizenship process. And my response was, why do you think the death of children is funny? And immediately, there are all of these sort of 
pseudo-reasonings about how this is about authority and respecting it, how it's about we have laws and need to be respected. And I was like, no, the, the crux of this whole joke is the fact that we have children dying. We have children dying in detention centers and basically concentration camps. We have children dying crossing the Rio Grande and drowning with their fathers. We have children dying and you're making light of it. You're making a joke. And I have to be honest, if, if all this was about was the fact that every once in a while I had to deal with interpersonally with people that just said really horrible jokes, we wouldn't be having a major issue. But of course, what is this joke manifesting? What can bring someone to joke about the fact that children are dying? But the fact that the alternative would mean having to acknowledge the value of these individuals and the need to be doing something different. What is it that's allowing us as a country to maintain a law enforcement personnel like the Custom and Border Patrol? The most horrific story I have heard like from this past week that just made me sit there and go, what in the world is happening? has to do with that Facebook group oh, yeah. that they have. Where quite literally it was filled with stories and jokes and etc. etc. about how to harass, how to sexually harass, how to demean the people caught up in coming to our country as refugees. The stories of them photoshopping our U.S. representatives into sexually explicit pictures and laughing and joking about them. The stories of them forcing various detainees to walk around the concentration camps holding placards, male detainees holding placards saying, I like men, because we need to throw a little homophobia into the mix of racism that we are going about. And the reality that we know that these tainees are being physically abused, are being sexually abused, that these actions are once again happening. And we know that because that is what has happened every single time any group has done anything like this in the past. And all of this builds to this idea that the solution is that we desecrate indigenous grave sites, we destroy our national parks, we strip countless citizens of their private property to build a wall. Of course, what's the purpose of that wall? But when that father and his young daughters from across the Rio Grande, they face a wall and they face death. And what is it that prompts all of this wolfness? But the fact that we have a narrative of this country. We have a mythos that we are somehow the city, the nation on a hill, the nation that has it right with God, the nation that has the laws and the authorities the circumcision, as it were, that lets us be proud and mark others as outcasts. 
People are afraid because the mythos of our nation tells us that we are a predominantly white nation. Need we forget that on July 4th, independence was gained for white men who primarily owned African-American bodies in the midst of slavery. We have this concept of America as a white European Protestant nation. That's the right gospel, what the white European Protestant preachers preach on Sunday morning and have preached for centuries. And the idea of the proclamation of Christ crucified from Christians from Central and South America, an understanding of what the gospel is, of what Christianity is, that is markedly different in so many ways from what we understand Christianity to be. That scares a whole lot of Christians that they might be called to be transformed by a new and different proclamation of Christ crucified from some other that they have not heard before. And this fear of change, this not wanting to transform, this need to feel that we are right, just as we are, puts pressures upon individuals, upon communities, upon a nation to reject people in horrible ways. Just as Jesus Christ was rejected in horrible ways for speaking and proclaiming the truth of God. And so we find ourselves, once again, crucifying those who come to us with the transforming power of God. The gospel, the amazing gospel of today is that the good news of God is so very near. It is knocking on the door of this nation. It is to be found in the life and in the struggle of every single refugee and asylum seeker that comes to our soil. The law, as it were, the scariness, as it were, is that we as a country are not welcoming these people and accepting the peace they bring into our lives. We are becoming wolves. There's so much that we can do. There's so much action that needs to be done. But the first step, the first step in this and almost every case of injustice that we encounter is are we creating the space in our hearts as individuals? Are we creating the space in our hearts as a congregation? Are we creating the space in our hearts as a city and as a nation to recognize that we don't have it all right? To recognize that we need to hear the proclamation of Christ crucified, what it means to be loved and be human and know who God is from those that we have not yet heard it from? Are we ready to enter in to transformation and change. If we can get there, if we can be the people that open up our doors and when someone says, peace I bring to you, respond, peace we will give you.
then then we will be living out that life that Jesus has called us to. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to reflect with us on today's gospel. This concludes this No Strings Attached sermon edition of Exegesis. We want to give special thanks to St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Tucson, Arizona, who provided us both a pulpit as well as a live congregation with whom to reflect about this gospel reading. If you're interested in the translation of the gospel you heard in the midst of this podcast, it comes from the John Knox version of the Holy Scripture. This is a single-person translation, John Knox, and was done in around the World Wars. It is a Roman Catholic translation and is one of the better renderings, at least into the poetics of English, that has happened in the past century. I highly suggest that you find a copy and read some. Until next time, may your Christianity be radically queer, overwhelmingly welcoming, and serve you and those around you to love yourself, to love others, and to love God. God bless and amen.